Good morning. We are um, we're starting Galatians this morning. We're going to start that little letter. Uh, why do we need this little letter? I've heard a pastor one time say that there's dynamite in the letter to Galatians. It might blow your heart up <laughs> in a good way, hopefully in a good way. It, it might offend us at times. It might give us freedom. It might just change your life. If you watched the little intro video that I sent out this week, I tried to make the point of what makes Christianity different than any other religion of the world. It's the gospel of grace. That is what makes it different. Think about it. You can Any other world religion, any other man-made religion is a version of, here's the rules and guidelines, follow these and you will be loved by the God of whatever religion it is. Some form of that is played out when it's man-made. We can even take Christianity and actually turn it into a version of that. And that's what's happening in, Galatia, in the churches in Galatia. And that's what Paul is so adamantly writing about in this letter. Our hearts can be religion factories. Some, sometimes you've heard maybe someone say that they can be idol factories. They can be religion factories too. We can come up with our own version of trying to get to God. It's what... Adam and Eve did. It's our default position. They went to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and said, I think we can figure this out. We can figure out the rules. We can figure out what's good and bad for ourselves and come up with our own way to God. So this letter is about the gospel. <laughs> now maybe you're thinking, as I thought throughout the week, now I've got the gospel. Like I get that. I get the gospel. So why are we talking about the gospel more? Well, the challenge that I've seen this week and that you may see is that when we think we get, got, have the gospel figured out, we might not. <laughs> but if you think you're barely scratching the surface of the gospel, then ironically, you may be getting it. <laughs> the greatest threat to our faith is not out there. It's not outside of us. It's that we believe we no longer need the gospel. You see, we think maybe gospel's for conversion. That's the thing that gets me in, right? But let's move on to the real stuff. And Paul says no. And the point of this letter, the point of this sermon, the title of this sermon is the gospel is the point. The gospel is the point. Now, kiddos, I want to ask you a question, okay? Which of these versions sounds good and right to you? Which of these sounds good and right to you? I must obey to be loved, or I am loved regardless of what I do. What do you think, kiddos? What sounds better to you? Maybe the second option? I like the second option myself. But, the, you know, the rest of us adults, are maybe we're squirming a little on the inside, right? Maybe parents are like, but, but what's to stop us from sinning? We need rules, right? Well, if we're wrestling with that, if we think, is it really that good? Is it really that I'm just accepted and loved regardless of what I do in Christ? Man, I'd like to believe that's true. But on the inside, maybe we struggle. But guess what? That's when we, we are beginning to wrestle with the goodness of the gospel. We go, man, that sounds really good. Well, let's go there. This passage is going to show us three things. 
the direction of the gospel. Where is it coming from and to? The direction, the distortion, how we distort it, and then the dynamics of it. The, meaning, what, what is it, what's actually at work that changes us in the gospel? So we're going to read this opening section of Galatians, verses 1 to 9. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you so quickly desert, are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the goodness and truth and the beauty of the gospel. I pray that you would speak through a broken sinner saved by grace alone. Lord, I must decrease and you must increase that you might get glory and that we might see Jesus and his finished work on our behalf. Would you do this, we pray in his name. Amen. Ruth Graham is one of Billy Graham's daughters. Did you know that Billy Graham's daughter went through not one, not two, but three divorces? And her children struggled greatly as well. Her, da her daughter had two children as a teenager out of wedlock. Another daughter had a severe eating disorder. A son had a drug problem. Being the child of a world-famous evangelist does not protect you from the sin and brokenness of this world. But it did send her into, for a time, a life of hiding and shame from the public eye because of that. But you know what changed her heart? When her father died, she said that everyone had a Billy Graham story, right? Everyone's heard him. Every, everyone had a story about him. She said, I've got my own story. I've got my own Billy Graham story. She said, after her first divorce, she said, I didn't want to be divorced. I didn't want to displease God. But after it happened, she fell into a rebound relationship, and her parents said, slow down. But she went headlong into it, and it didn't last long. And after five weeks, she fled that marriage. She said, I'm going home. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm going home. And home was a two-day drive. You can imagine, that was a lot of time to think all the thoughts and have all the questions. What are they going to say to me? Will they ever love me like they used to? Will I be accepted? There were times where she wanted to turn around and just go back and not go see her parents, but she did. She wondered, would they be tired of my fooling around? Would they, would they say, we told you not to do it? You've embarrassed us. 
Well, she describes driving up the windy driveway to her parents' house and seeing her father standing there. And she says this about that experience. My father, who had every reason to rebuke, wrapped his strong arms around me, pulled me into a warm embrace, and greeted me with these simple words, Welcome home. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no condemnation, just unconditional love. My father's embrace at that moment was one of the most profound gestures of acceptance I have ever experienced. To be utterly broken and still accepted. To feel ugly and yet be loved. To feel like an outcast and still be welcomed. I marveled at the contrast between my heart full of shame and regret and my father's so full of love. Our hearts constantly want to condemn us. And so we play the performance game. We live a shell of a life that covers the brokenness inside. Because we're scared. She said that, uh, Ruth Graham said that at some point after all this, she was being interviewed on a, a Christian TV show. And the host said this, may I be so bold to say, you're Billy Graham's daughter. I'd think you would have had your act all together. And there it is. There's the, the spiritual virus that can attach itself to our faith and turn us away from the gospel. Now we think, gosh, I can't believe that host could have said, why, I can't believe they said that. Well, we've got to be honest, thoughts probably were running through our own minds. We think, wow, should have, surely she would have had her act together, right? And it's that virus, that spiritual virus that infiltrates our hearts constantly, those thoughts. It attaches to our faith and it steers it away from the gospel of grace. It sucks our joy, and our freedom in Christ. And it forces us into a life of adding our performance to the finished work of Christ to get God's love and acceptance. We think, well, Jesus got me in the door, but it's up to me to not get kicked out. We functionally do think that way. We do, and Paul is upset about that. And he's writing to the churches in Galatia who are struggling with that very thing. Now, let's, let's talk about the direction of the gospel. Which direction does it go? We've got to get the backstory first. Okay, let's get the backstory. Remember, Paul was once known by the name Saul. Remember that? Most of us know that story in some way. And Saul was the most uptight, arrogant, angry, self righteous, religiously condemning Pharisee. And he was stopped in his tracks by Jesus. And Jesus showed him that all his moral efforts were not only useless, but as good as sewage. Paul uses a similar word about his good works. He was working with some version of a world religion. Like all the others that say, this is the way to God. Actually, we've got a, a visual for us here. Now, the youth, if you went to Ridgehaven, you've probably seen this. Uh, one of my professors at Covenant... Uh, he, he, he gave me this. So this is the way of world religions. Everything at the, above, the, above the line is God. We are below the line. Okay, very simple. But religion says, here's what you do to get to God. See, if you do these things, you can get your way into God's favor. You can break through the line, but it's false. It's a lie. 
because we can't do it. But Paul was wanting to conform others. Saul, when he was Saul, when he was going by world religions, he was wanting everyone else to conform to this. And he was angry about it. Why? Because if it wasn't true, then everything he had ever done, all his effort, meant nothing. And it didn't work. But Jesus showed him something else. See the next one. Very simple. God comes down to us. He's the only one that can cross that line. We can't get to him, but guess what? He comes to us, and it's the gospel of grace. Jesus opened Paul's eyes to it. He said, this is the way. Well, fast forward about 10 or 12 years. The gospel had broken out in a place called Antioch. And Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem had heard about it, and they sent help. They sent Barnabas, and Barnabas went to find Paul. And then that church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, called the church to send Paul and Barnabas out on a missionary journey, on a church planting trip, basically. And they went to cities of uh, Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, and the gospel was proclaimed, and churches were planted, and this is the region of Galatia. There were multiple churches that had been planted, and they returned to Antioch. And after some time, Paul got word something was wrong. He had heard that there were religious people who had come along to those churches in Galatia and to those people, and they were messing with the gospel, but it was subtle. It may have been some version of, okay, Jesus got you in, but now it's time to start following the regulations and the rules to stay in. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow these rules. you got to stay in now so that God will really love you. Paul pulls out his pen and paper, and he goes, no. No, do not believe that. There is no other gospel except the one that is by grace alone. See, that was me before. He's saying, Paul's saying, that was me before. I was trying to get people to follow the rules to get to God. And then Jesus opened my eyes. I was the self-righteous, arrogant, condemning Pharisee. Don't fall into that. So that's the backstory. And he opens his letter then by giving us the direction of the gospel. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. The direction is, it came from God, not man. Anything else, anything man-made is going to be some version of us coming up with a way to get to God. Paul's like, you can't make this up. You can't make this story up. Remember who I was? You can't make this up. I am now preaching basically an opposite message from what I was before when I was Saul. You can't make this up. But man tries to default to getting to God. There's even that voice inside of us sometimes, and I referred to it earlier, that says, man, this gospel stuff, that God really did all the work, and there's nothing for us to do, Man, if that were really true, that'd be nice. But I better hedge my bets and try to be a good person just in case it's not true. I need to still try. If it sounds too good to be true to us, maybe we're beginning to see grace. But when we turn back to adding our moral efforts into the mix, we reverse the flow of the gospel, the direction 
Remember the arrow going down. We reverse it and we try to add our efforts to it to get into staying in the good graces of God. You know what happens when you reverse the flow? Um, it gets messy. When, uh, you know what happens when a child flushes a toy down a toilet and you don't know about it for a few days? Things start backing up. It happened recently in my house and it's not fun, it's not pretty, it's gross. The flow gets reversed and mess happens. Paul talks about this with his life before. In Philippians 3, he talks about himself. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count, count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That Greek word could also refer to sewage. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Friends, Paul, God's word here is serious about us getting the direction of the gospel right. God comes to us. We cannot get to him. And it is for our joy and our freedom. That's the direction of the gospel. Any other message that is from man is going to be us trying to get to him, except the gospel of grace. And that brings us to the next point, the distortion of the gospel. If we get the direction wrong, things get distorted. Our lives get distorted. See verse 7. Well, I'll back up in verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of grace. So when we think it's up to us to get right with God, we live, we can live, troubled and distorted lives. First, let's talk about that word distorted. That could literally mean, could be translated as turning something into the opposite or turning something inside out. So it's taking the gospel of grace and, and making it the opposite, the gospel of works. A gospel of the good news is you got to get it right. That's not very good news. It's the opposite. We can actually turn our lives inside out. and be, Our lives can become distorted. Think about it. We, when we hear the gospel and we're lavished with grace and we have joy and freedom and we're confessing our sins and we're free in Christ. But then over time, we're tempted to get in our heads. We're tempted to get around others, and we begin to think, oh, I really better behave. I better not show too much mess. I might get kicked out. God might stop liking me if I don't have my act together. And we begin to live inside-out lives. We put the real us on the inside, and we put a fake version on the outside because I need to have it together. Or we think we do. This is not only one of the greatest threats to our joy and freedom in Christ, it's also one of the greatest threats to the non-Christian world hearing the gospel. Humans have a sixth, sixth sense for fake. We can see it in ourselves, we can see it in others, 
And non-Christians see it and they go, something's not adding up here. I talk to uh, folks that work in the restaurant industry uh, fairly often. Even some of you have spent time in that industry consistently. The answer to the least favorite day to work, Sunday. They, and this is, again, a very generalized statement, but they say Christians come and they're dressed nice, but oftentimes they're rude or they don't tip and they don't like to work on Sundays. When we distort the gospel, we distort our lives. Instead of living freely on the outside, we live hidden on the inside. And that brings us to the second part of the results of a distorted gospel. We turn our lives inside out for one, but then that word troubled, Paul says there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of grace. That word could be translated as stirred up or terrify or frighten or distress. The life of anxiety and fear, internal strife, meaningless activity. We, we feel those things sometimes, don't we? Think about it. If it's a gospel, if, if the gospel is reversed and it says, I've got to get it right. I've got to really mean it to be loved by God. I've got to really be devoted. I've got to have my act together. That's a life of fear. It's a life of uncertainty. It's a life of striving and scurrying around, constantly rededicating our lives to Jesus every time we struggle with sin. Because we just aren't sure if he loves us anymore. And we feel troubled and distorted. And at some point, we've fallen back into performianity. Just another world religion, man-made religion. It's the most dangerous virus that exists. From what I've been told, I don't know a whole lot about IT and computers and all that, but a computer virus can get into a system, into a computer... Uh, at least at times. Again, I don't know a lot of what I'm talking about, but I've been told that it can get in and multiply without being detected by giving control back to the computer, back to the host. A distorted gospel gives us the appearance of being in control of God's love for us, but we're enslaved to performianity. Has it infiltrated our hearts? It can be really subtle. So what do we do? We go back to the gospel. We go back to the gospel again and again. Every day we continue to preach the gospel into our own hearts. So let's talk about the dynamics of the gospel. Let's talk about the real gospel, the only gospel. That word dynamic, I picked that word because it means uh, a power to move or change something. The gospel dynamics are found back up in verses 3 through 5, really into verse 6 there. Paul actually gives us the gospel right off the bat in this letter. It says, There's grace to you and peace from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul here in this brief opening gives us the gospel. He says grace and peace. That's fruit of the gospel. Having grace and having peace. It's not produced by us. He doesn't say, hey, try to get yourself some grace and some peace. He says it's come to you. It's been given to you. Jesus gave himself up. Why? To deliver us. To rescue us 
according to God's will, not ours. God wants to save us. He wanted to do it. It was his will. And guess what? He gets the glory. So how can I know that I'm being changed by the real gospel? How can we know? I'm going to give you three, really briefly five things. First, actually, the first one I want to speak to is actually in verse 6. He says there, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. So the first thing there is calling, having been called. God's call, when he, when he calls, results, things happen, right? He's God. His word and reality are the same thing. Guess what? It's not, it doesn't work for us. When I call my kids to come to unload the dishwasher, like, yeah, yeah, I'll be right there, Dad. Ten minutes later, still not there. My word does not have... The, the effect of producing reality, <laughs> right? We can't do that. It doesn't work. They say, well, I'll be right there, but I'm not there. I'll come later, but they don't come later. And that's, in some way, us trying to produce our own salvation. We can't produce that reality for ourselves. But when God calls, when God calls us, it happens. Because it's up to him and his power to call us. Now, most of the time, it's not going to be a Damascus Road struck blind experience like Paul's. Sometimes it's barely noticeable. But do you feel an alien power, something outside of yourself working in your heart? Why are you here? Why do you want to know God? Why do you want to know his word? Why does your sin bother you? That's evidence, I believe, of God calling you and working in you. Secondly, grace. He throws out grace and peace there. Grace, are you beginning to get the truth? Of, you, you are beginning to get the truth of the gospel when you begin to ask questions like, why would he choose me? Who am I? I'm a mess. I wouldn't choose me. Guess what? You're starting to understand the gospel of grace. When we don't think we deserve the gospel of grace, that's when we ironically are beginning to get it. Okay, thirdly, peace. He says peace there. That's the opposite of that restless internal noise and activity that's always seeking to position ourselves in a good light. Comparing ourselves to others, right? That's, when we do that, it's like, well, I just don't need to be the worst guy in the room. Okay, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I didn't do what he did. So I'm okay, right, God? We start playing that game. It's the spiritual version of the bear showing up and you just not needing to be the slowest person in the group. <laughs> as long as I'm a little bit better than somebody else, then maybe I'm doing okay. That's not peace, though. That's a roller coaster ride. That's not peace. But when we see the gospel, when we see the gospel of grace, we have no problem resting in the truth that I'm the worst I'm the worst sinner in the room, and I'm okay with that because Christ died for me, and I have peace. I can rest because Jesus is seen. If we see Jesus' love for us, we see that it doesn't waver. It doesn't change. It's not a roller coaster ride, and guess what? We can see that he doesn't punish us anymore. All of God's wrath was spent on Jesus. There is no more left. We can have peace and rest in that truth. That's when we know we're beginning to see the real gospel. We can see that we are his beloved, even if we're coming up the driveway carrying our worst sin yet. 
Number four, rescue. I'm, I'm getting that from that word deliver, delivered. Verse four, he who gave, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. It's a rescue. I'm getting the true gospel when I see that Jesus didn't come to just make me a nice person. Jesus didn't come to just make bad people good. He came to rescue me from my spiritual deadness. It was a rescue mission, not a self-help journey. When I see that, I'm seeing the real gospel. Fifth, finally here, humility. Where do I see that? Well, Paul is so secure in his freedom in Christ that he can humbly place himself under his own knife. In verse 8, But even if we, even if I, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He's saying, I'll even if, throw me out if I'm telling you something other than what Christ gave you in the gospel of grace. Kick me out when we're secure and we're free in Christ. We can, well, there's room for criticism. There's room for being wrong. But if we get the gospel backwards, if we go to the no gospel, if we go to the uh, moral effort to get in with God, then guess what? There's no room for criticism and correction. We can't handle those things because we've got to be right and good and okay. But when we see the real gospel, there's humility. When am I free? When I'm accepted and loved unconditionally. A few years ago, I was doing an Aldi pickup, and the young lady that was loading me out had a little tattoo right here that said, live free. You know me, I asked. It was a quick moment, quick exchange, but she said, well, it's my reminder to live free, but sadly, I'm not free. Again, it was a quick exchange, and, and I still kick myself for not just giving her the gospel right in that moment. But it was quick, but it learned, I learned two things from that exchange. One, humans long to be free, but deep down we know we're not. Secondly, Jesus still loves me even though I didn't share the gospel with that young lady that day. It wasn't like he's disappointed in me because I didn't do something. Again, remember, I'm free in the gospel of grace. Are you free? Do you want to be free? Free from hiding, free from shame. Free to have joy in Christ from the roller coaster of your own performance. Then we must stay in the gospel of grace. I'll close with this. There's an old tale about Abraham Lincoln. that He was once at a slave auction and there was a young lady there. And he bid on her. And he won her. And as he's walking away with his new property, he says, you are free. She said, what do you mean? He says, I mean, you're free. Does that mean, she said, that I can say whatever I want to say? Lincoln said, yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean, she said, that I can be whatever I want to be? Lincoln said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? He said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. The girl with tears streaming down her face, said, then I will go with you. You see, when we're free, we see the one who has given us freedom, and we want nothing else but to be with him, Jesus our Savior, because we've fallen in love with him. 
It's not a obedience out of fear. It's a love relationship with the one who's truly freed us. The gospel is good news. News is a report of something that has been done. Like that young lady, she heard the news that she was free. Jesus said, you're free. I paid the price. It's done. Anything else is just advice that would tell you to try harder next time. Jesus brings good news that the work is done. There is nothing left to do but be free in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter. This little letter that packs a, quite a punch. It hits us with the gospel of grace. Lord, we need it again and again every day. Lord, I pray for all of us here that we would have joy in the freedom of the gospel, that the work has been done. May we see you in all of that. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not feel free, that they would see that you have done the work. It's finished on their behalf. And that they would be able to surrender to you and that truth, that good news, and that you would get all the glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.